Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Well, today we're wrapping up this series of messages called Par for the Course. And this series, uh, for this series, Par is an acronym that stands for this, Privilege, Accountability, and Responsibility. And in life, uh, we're really tempted in life to take a really simple two-step approach to gaining more privilege in life. Like, I'm here right now, and I see some privilege over there, and it just makes sense to just jump and take the privileges uh, as fast as possible. Whether at work, at home, in our career, wherever in life, uh, we are, we think it's just, it's really simple. I just take the privileges that I want. And, but we've been looking in the series at how God's way is different. And, and so I want to begin with a video that really fleshes out the par principle that we've been looking at over the past uh, three Sundays. And so this video is put together by a friend of mine. He's an animator. And so uh, it's a short video. It's about, well, it's about five minutes. So it's not, we've got a lot of videos today. So um, we should have popped you some popcorn for the videos we got. So let's roll the video. This will explain the par principle. John wants to advance in life. He wants privileges. He wants a good job and he wants to make good money. Fortunately for John, there is a way to make this kind of progress. And the key is understanding a principle that operates in all areas of life. Let's call it the PAR principle. PAR stands for three words. Privilege, accountability, and responsibility. Privilege is something we all like. We enjoy the benefits of having leadership or being in marriage or having something we want. Accountability is much harder, though. Usually, if we have something, we are held accountable for it. If you have a driver's license, you're accountable for how you drive. If you're a parent, you're accountable for your children. Marriage actually brings you into accountability to your spouse and the state. And responsibility is having the duty to deal with something. If you have responsibility for a job, you have been given or accepted the duty to deal with it. If you take responsibility to play a role on a sports team, like a pitcher in baseball or a linebacker in football, then you have the duty to deal with that role. Privilege, accountability, and responsibility. These three things need to be relatively in line in life. If John wants more privilege, there is a way to get it. By increasing his level of responsibility and accountability equally, he advances by earning greater and greater responsibility. And with the greater responsibility comes greater privileges and also greater accountability. To fulfill his desires to make money, John gets a job in a grocery store as a stock person. When the store closes, he goes to restock the shelves. That's his responsibility. As the stock person, John makes a certain amount of money. It's low, but if he does his job well, he gets that money and he gets to keep his job. Those are the two privileges at John's current level of responsibility. John is also accountable to somebody, perhaps an assistant manager. If John makes a mistake, the one who checks up on him will notice and correct him. John could lose his privileges by not taking care of those responsibilities. If John wants to grow in the privileges, he will have to rise to greater responsibility. He can arrive to work on time every day, work fast and hard, be a joy to work with, help others, and look for ways to go above and beyond his job description. When his boss notices him handling his responsibilities well, his privilege could grow. He might become a checker. Checkers make more money and have physically easier jobs, but they also have greater accountability. 
Someone checks the cash drawer, and John could get in much bigger trouble if money is missing from it. A lot more trouble than if items are missing from the shelves. And so it goes. John might move on up to become a supervisor, or maybe a manager. He makes much more money as a manager, but his responsibility and accountability continue to rise with that privilege. This is the way things go spiritually, too. If you want greater privileges, you must rise to greater responsibility. But since privilege, accountability, and responsibility go together, you will also have to accept greater accountability. This is how God advances us in life. So what's the key to elevating? The essential word is faithful. A faithful person keeps his promises and fulfills his duties well. If you are faithful in the lower responsibility, in due time, God will give you greater responsibility. The Bible talks about this. Jesus says in Luke 16:10 through 12 that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. He goes on. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If you are not being faithful in what belongs to someone else, whether it's their possessions, their job, or their ministry, who is going to let you have your own responsibilities? You have to be faithful. But since faithfulness takes a lot of time and it's a lot of work, many times people look for a faster, easier way to get that privilege. They rebel and take the privilege without the responsibility. The shortcut just seems easier. This happens with robbers and thieves. John might decide he doesn't want to work several years to earn $100,000. So he buys a gun, walks into the supermarket, and walks out with that money. Shortcut taken. He gained the privilege. He now plans to have a much more enjoyable life. But his long-term goals won't be realized. Why? When you break the par balance, you enter a process of judgment. Judgment comes from the Lord. Accountability will come. John's choice to rob the store starts judgment in motion. The day comes when he will be held accountable for taking the $100,000. And judgment brings loss. John used to walk around on the streets and do pretty much as he wished. But when accountability comes, he's arrested, tried, and sent to jail. He will then walk around a much smaller space and be under constant supervision. There is public shame and a loss of a future for the robber. He loses the privileges he once had. This is the way life works in all areas that you want to advance in your goals. If you take the responsibility and faithfully fulfill it, you will gain the greater privileges. If you're not married, sexual privileges come with getting married. If you're unemployed, get a job, work hard, and you can make more money. But you have to start. If you want to rise in spiritual leadership, serve well under the people who are valid spiritual leaders. This is the way it works all across life. The Bible says in Luke 12, verse 48, When someone has been given much, that's the privilege or responsibility, much will be required in return. That's the accountability that goes with the gifts. Organizations look to see if people are faithful before they are promoted upward. Children must show faithfulness to gain more responsibility and privilege in family life. And faithfulness is important to God as He chooses whom to elevate and sustain. The PAR principle, privilege, accountability, and responsibility, stay mostly in line throughout life. If you rebel against this, it will bring judgment. But if you want to rise in privilege and have blessing upon it, you must rise in responsibility to that level of privilege. 
the animator who put that together, he left his job. He worked for Disney for, I think, probably the last uh, 15 years. Uh, he left his job at Disney just recently, formed his own company, and and so our network of churches, we've hired him to, he's freelancing now, but we've hired him to do some freelance work to animate a bunch of scriptural principles and paradigms and just bring some things to life. And so that, I think, helps us sort of summarize what this series has been about. We've walked pretty slowly through Luke 16, uh, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12, covered that over the last three weeks. Uh, today what I want to do, though, is I want to highlight four leaders in the order uh, of when they lived, and as their stories come up in the Bible, we're going to do a flyover. We're going to spend the most time on the very first uh, character. His name is Joseph. And don't be alarmed if we're still on Joseph and you're like, it's, we're running out of time. So we're going to just briefly touch on the last three. So, uh, so here's Joseph. Joseph is a leader in the Bible. He had All of these people uh, had major privilege. So when you think about the par principle, we're going to flesh this out now with these uh, four individuals' lives. So the first one is Joseph. He had like a roller coaster rise to leadership. So it was kind of ups and downs, but he, he did experience some tremendous privilege in his life uh, near the end, especially. Uh, Joseph's story is that he was the favored son of a man named Jacob. Jacob uh, had a large family, so Jacob, uh, this father, uh, Joseph's dad, Jacob, had one daughter and, and uh, 12 sons. And so Jacob uh, probably had his hands full. So Joseph, the character we're going to talk about, his story comes up in Genesis chapter 37 through 50 as the first, in the first book of the Bible. So you can read that on your own, more of the details of the story. But you're gonna, we're going to cover a lot of it this morning. Uh, Joseph's father Jacob loved him more than his siblings. Uh, we don't like to hear about that when there's a favored son. But in this case... Uh, Joseph was the favored son. His, his dad expressed his favoritism by making him a, and giving, and presenting to him an ornate robe, uh, which really incited his brothers to jealousy, major jealousy. So it would have been something like this. The brothers are in the background wearing their white robes, and here Joseph gets this young, he's not the youngest, but he's one of the youngest. He's presented this beautiful ornate robe, and they start getting really jealous. At the age of 17, Joseph had a dream uh, regarding his future rise to leadership. So take a look at what the scripture tells us about uh, Joseph's dream. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. (laughs) Maybe he shouldn't have told them the dream. Here's the dream. We were binding sheaves of grain. So basically we're collecting grain. We're creating these big bundles of grain. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheave rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. (laughs) Okay, now it'd be like this. Imagine that. You know, he's like, I'm the, the largest sheave of grain in the middle and you're all formed around me bowing down to me this is what i had a dream about you're all gonna um, bow down to me i'm gonna lead you someday again he's not the baby of the family but he's he's next in line and so this was a dream about his future privilege and imagine your little brother delivering this message to you (laughs) and thankfully joseph didn't say like hey let's go ahead and get this started now who wants to bring me a drink you know my back hurts. Who wants to, you know, work on my back a little bit? He doesn't go that far, but his brothers are pretty ticked, nevertheless. Look at verse 8. 
His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he'd said. Now one day, Joseph's brothers were out taking care of his uh, father's flock. And they're a few villages away. And Joseph, because he's he's only 17, he's pretty young. Uh, but he's not having to do all the hard work. And so he's back at home. His father sends him to check on his brother's. And so Joseph heads out. He can't find them initially. He goes to one village and villagers say, no, I saw your brothers. They're a little further over the next village. So he heads to the next village and the brothers see Joseph coming. They say, look, there's the dreamer. There he is. Let's get him. So Joseph comes up and they, they rough him up. They start beating him up. And actually they're about to murder him. Story's like, "Let's, let's just kill him. Here's our chance. Their oldest brother, Reuben, talks them out of murdering their brother. Instead, he convinces them as a group to just throw Joseph into this dried up well. And so they throw Joseph into this dried up well, and Reuben's trying to figure out, oh gosh, how do I get him home safely? Uh, He's the oldest. He's be held accountable. And so he's trying to figure out what to do. Meanwhile, the rest of the brothers see this group of slave traders, this caravan, a band of foreigners, passing by in the distance, and they decide, we know, We'll sell our brother as a slave and profit off of him right now. And so they do that. They, they sell Joseph to this group, the Ishmaelites, who are passing by. And they get 20 shekels of silver for Joseph's life. And they sell off their brother. 20 shekels of silver in today's currency would be about, one shekel would be worth about $20. <laughs> so they sell their brother for $400 divided by the, uh, the, uh, the brothers. You know, you're really not talking, you know, $35 each brother. To sell their brother off. The brothers return home with some money in their pocket and a story. And the story is this. They bring back a part of Joseph's torn, ornate, colorful robe. They dipped it in goat's blood and they said, Dad, bad news. Joseph was mauled by a wild animal. And he's dead. And here's the robe. And the father's just totally, Jacob, the father's just devastated. Meanwhile, Joseph, remember he's sold as a slave, and he arrives, this group of of, uh, people take him to Egypt, and when they get to Egypt, they sell him, they don't even keep him, they sell him as a slave to a man named Potiphar, who, Potiphar was the captain of of, of, of the guard for the king of Egypt, for Pharaoh. And so, Potiphar is a very high-ranking official, high privilege for this man Potiphar, captain of the guard. And as we continue in the passage, I want you to, to really see if you can spot the different ways that the par principle shows up in Joseph's life. It shows up over and over. So let's look at Genesis 39, 1 through 10. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had, take, who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, basically he's bearing what? He's bearing responsibility. He's being, he's being faithful. He's bearing responsibility. And look at what happens. Verse 4, Joseph, because of that, found favor in Potiphar's eyes. Which part of the par is that? Favor in the eyes of the master is what? It's, he's, he's being held what? 
accountable. His master's watching to see the quality of his work, his faithfulness. So he's, he's experiencing accountability. His master's checking in. He's pleased. And it says, and Joseph became his attendant. All of a sudden, he's exalted. He gains more privilege. He's beginning to be on the rise. He's gaining more privilege. Now it says, Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. I mean, it's amazing. Faithful with a little, and he starts gaining more responsibility. He's in charge of everything. He doesn't just boost his privileges, though. With the, the, the increased privilege, he, he takes on more responsibility. He's responsible for uh, Potiphar's household affairs. Verse 5. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Joseph is tested, first with the small details, and then more and more. In verse 6, it says, So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. What that means is, Potiphar's only concern for himself was that he would remember to eat three meals a day. Potiphar, just eat when you're hungry. That's all you got to do. Because everything else he placed on top of Joseph's back, basically. I mean, it was a privilege, but it was responsibilities. Now it says of Joseph, now Joseph was well built and handsome. Verse 7 says, and after a while, his master's wife, so Potiphar's wife, took notice of Joseph and said, she's not forward or anything. Come to bed with me. She's inviting Joseph to enjoy a privilege that's out of bounds. Without bearing the commitment and the responsibility and accountability that comes along with marriage, it's out of bounds. It's a privilege that's out of bounds. Now, if Joseph had taken her up on the offer, Joseph would have violated the par principle and he would have kicked into motion a judgment cycle. Consequences from God would have started coming. And she's inviting him to cross a serious line of trust and he knew that he would be held accountable at the level of privilege. If he enjoyed that privilege, he'd be held level or accountable for that. So the Bible reads this in verse 8. But he refused. And he told the wife, he said, with me in charge, you know, there's the responsibility. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. I'm accountable. Verse 9, no one is greater in this house than I am. My, my master has withheld nothing from me. Except you. Because you're his wife. Basically, essentially, you are beyond my level of privilege. How then, he says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? This isn't just only a family matter. This is, this is deeper than that. And though she spoke to him. Day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So he's just trying to, trying to avoid her. No doubt he's tempted, but he didn't step across that line. One day, though, while he's doing his household duties and the servants are nowhere to be found, Potiphar's wife grabbed hold of Joseph's cloak and, and again, come to bed with me, she says. She tries to entice him again. And Joseph, he just, he ran. He just like, it's almost like she grabbed hold of his jacket and he just like, somehow like, Popped his joints out and just, and his his jacket stayed in her hands, and he just freed himself from the from the coat from the cloak. But she's holding the cloak, and she claims Joseph raped me. So she screams and she says, "This Hebrew man came in and attacked me, tried to rape me." The master believes his wife and and believes he's been betrayed by Joseph and is off to prison 
for Joseph. Now you can't stop there because if you do, you miss what God is doing on a larger scale. So let's, let's move ahead. Look at Genesis 39. Verse 20 through 23. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Again, he's what? He's responsible. He's being responsible in prison. Joseph stood out. Verse 22 says, So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He's gaining more privilege, more responsibility, more privilege with that. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. His whole responsibility and accountability is going up proportionally. Again, verse 23, it says, The warden paid no attention. It's like a repeat of what happened with Potiphar's house. Paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph, gave him success in whatever he did. Now, what a roller coaster. It's just, we might think, wait, what about the whole par principle? I mean, this whole story reminds us that God grants more privilege in his timing but he sets the timing. You know, we focus on faithfulness. We focus on trusting and waiting on God. Even in prison, God is allowing him to rise to leadership. But he's still in prison. Where's the, where's the par balance there? Where's the par principle? Uh, the story goes on that the king, so he's, Joseph is in a dirty Egyptian prison. But he's in leadership, but he's still in prison. Well, the king the Pharaoh, begins having these troubling dreams. And they're, they're, it's, it's, he, he's getting insight about the future through his dreams, but he has no idea what they mean. And so he starts asking all of his wise officials and wise men, and no one in the land can interpret Pharaoh's dreams. All of a sudden, Pharaoh's cupbearer, one of his officials who was job, his main job was to make sure that the king wasn't going to be poisoned by the drinks that he's being given, the cupbearer remembers he said, you're having a hard time with his dreams. I met a person in prison. At one point, he crossed Pharaoh. Pharaoh got angry. He sent the cupbearer to prison. While he was in prison, the cupbearer met Joseph and learned that Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams. And so he told the king, there's a man in, in prison. His name is Joseph. He can interpret your dream. So they call Joseph out of prison. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And the dreams re- are basically regarding the fact that famine is coming upon the whole uh, land. And that whole region of the world will be experiencing famine. And Joseph says, you should get prepared now. He's saying, what this dream means is that you're going to have seven years of plenty here and then seven years of famine. So you should get ready right now while you're uh, having a lot. Well, there's these seven years of plenty, seven years of abundance. And so Joseph says, hey, you should really put someone in charge of all this, someone who knows. And Pharaoh says, uh, I don't have anybody that, that, that's that good, but you seem to know what you're doing. God seems to be with you. You've got the job. And so Joseph is all of a sudden exalted to the number two. He's the vice Pharaoh. <laughs> He's the vice Pharaoh of Egypt. He's exalted to the number two most powerful man in Egypt, which is a world power at that point. Now, this is 13 years from the first dream where, where Joseph learned that he would be a person of influence and that people would, you know, follow him. And along the way came all sorts of tests, but he is exalted here because of his faithfulness. Now, for the next seven years, Joseph led the Egyptians to collect and store grain for the future famine. Seven years of storage goes on, and then just as foretold, seven years of famine began. And in the second year of famine, uh, people were starving. They didn't have a plan. And so the surrounding uh, area in the Middle East, uh, 
countries and families were dying and starving. And the threat came upon Joseph's family back in their land. And so Jacob, Joseph's father, who's still alive, he's old, but he's still alive. Jacob heard that there was food in Egypt. And so he sends his sons, the sons that are Joseph's brothers, who sold him into slavery. He sends, the father sends them with money to go buy grain for their survival. And here's the story. Genesis 42, verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all his people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, as many years have gone on at this point, when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Did you catch that? (laughs) I mean... Exactly what he said would happen. They bowed down. Later, and you read the story yourself, you'll see actually there's more bowing that goes on. Uh, But if you read the entire story on your own, you'll see that God's plan was to send Joseph ahead to Egypt in order to provide for God's people, uh, the Israelites. Because that's the family that, uh, that family expanded and expanded and expanded the nation of Israel. And if you read this story on your own, you begin to see that even through this series of really unfortunate events for him, this was God's plan uh, for salvation, for saving. And Joseph, eventually he reveals his identity to his family. He forgives his brothers who are freaking out because they're thinking, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, we're in trouble. And he said, look, I forgive you. He's, He's just overcome with emotion. Is my father alive? Is my baby brother Benjamin alive? And so there's this story. You need to read this story. Uh, Eventually he calls for the whole family and relatives to come and to live beside Egypt in the land of Goshen in order to flourish there and to be provided for so that their needs would be met and that the family lines would really go on. And they they multiply rapidly there, uh, right there in Egypt. You know the story. I mean, you can go on, you read about Exodus and millions of people are living there. Uh, we're not going to go on to that story. But I told you it would be in Joseph's story for a while because I want you to see the way that God used his life. Now think about Jesus' words in light of Joseph's life. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Joseph passed that test. Now look at verse 11. If you've not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? He passed that test. He had financial resources available. He was faithful. Verse 12, he passed the test of stewarding someone else's property, possession, family members. He was faithful. And, And through it all, Joseph was totally responsible all the way through the tests. He wasn't perfect, but he kept passing the test of faithfulness and God kept exalting him. And you can be sure that he was tempted to take more privilege without responsibility. But Joseph refused to do that. He wouldn't do it. I wonder how many times he was thinking, there's the privilege, it's within my reach, I could probably get away with it. But he refused to cross the line and to violate this principle. Now this shows up again and again in the Bible. Sometimes, however, it's violated the par principle is violated and it brings a painful cycle of judgment. As in the case of this next character, Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. But he had a short-lived reign. And the story I want to highlight here is this, and it's a brief one, is that Saul was, he was the first king and there was a spiritual leader named Samuel that God used to anoint this king. And Samuel told Saul, you're king now, but you got to remember, do not get ahead of God. Make sure you stay in sync with God. 
And here is Samuel's explicit instructions right after he's anointed as, as king. He tells him this. The spiritual leader tells the new king, Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. There's going to be a, a battle fought there in Gilgal against the Philistines. He said this, I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Basically, the prophet is, is going to have some duties, almost like priestly duties, to offer up a sacrifice to ask God's blessing on the battle they're about to, to go into. Samuel tells them, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you're to do. Don't get ahead of God. I'll meet you there, but don't get ahead of God. Wait till I arrive. This is Saul's first major test. So he leads his armies. Saul the king leads his armies to Gilgal, just as he was instructed. And he sees this vast army, Philistine army, just a multitude of, of people they're about to battle against. And all the soldiers are freaking out. Day one, day two, several days go by. Samuel's supposed to arrive on the seventh day. And so they're waiting. Day seven arrives and the, the prophet doesn't show up. Well, Saul knows we need God's blessing. Where's the where's where's Samuel? He's looking around. There's no Samuel. So he offers up the the fellowship offering, the priestly sacrifice himself, and he asks God to bless them in battle. And just kind of as the smoke is clearing from the sacrifice, Samuel comes around the corner and arrives and confronts him. And, and he says, you've been hasty. You got ahead of, you got ahead of God and the instructions I gave you. You took the priestly privileges upon yourself and you should have waited. And here's a painting. This is from the 16th century by a man, an artist named Hans Holbein, in case you're curious about that. But he's being confronted here. He got ahead. And when Saul confronted him, or when Samuel confronted Saul, here's the issue with Saul. He's a leader, he's confronted and held accountable, but he wouldn't admit his sin. And he wouldn't repent, he didn't repent. He didn't say, you know, you're right, I disobeyed, I got ahead of God, I dropped the ball of responsibility. And when he was confronted, instead, he blame-shifted and, and he failed to be accountable. His excuse was this, uh, the soldiers made me do it. They got anxious, they were getting nervous, so I just went ahead and did, did it. Well, this is a major violation of the par principle. Because of that, uh, he went from high privilege as the king to loss of privilege. He lost the kingdom. Uh, many people uh, lost life. Uh, people suffered under his leadership as the king. Because the king always must bear the weight of major decisions. This is critical. And that was what Samuel was warning him about. Here's another example. This is David. David's devastations and rebound. King David led in many major victories. He, he loosened his grip, though. He was a warrior, king. Uh, he, you know, he penned many of the Psalms that we read in the Bible. Uh, but King David, he loosened his grip at one point. And rather than going to war with his armies at a, at a key season of battling and advancing and taking more ground and more land, instead of going, he took it easy. He loosened his grip and he stayed at home. And one day while at home, he was up on his on his rooftop of his palace, and he spied from, from the rooftop a beautiful woman bathing down below. And he asked one of his officials, Hey, who's that woman down there? And he learned, Oh, that, her, her name is Bathsheba. She's the wife to Uriah the Hittite, who's, you know Uriah, you know, one of your mighty warriors, one of the men that are, that are fighting right now for our people. One of your, you know, key mighty men. That, that's his wife. David calls for her, brings her to his chambers, has sex with her. 
And he violates the par principle. He took sexual privileges with someone who is not his wife. And it goes from bad to worse as she got pregnant. And then he decided to send a message eventually to his army commander to make sure that Bathsheba's husband Uriah, because she got pregnant, he sends a message to make sure that Uriah would be sent to the fiercest part of the battle lines in the war that they were in, sending him to his death. He wanted him to die so he could get him out of the way, take him out of the picture, cover up his sin. Because she was pregnant. He thought he could fool everyone and just enjoy the long-term privileges with the woman that would now become his wife. So he takes her to into his, his uh, home and, and she becomes uh, his wife. But soon, God sends a prophet to confront him. Here's a picture, a painting of Nathan the prophet confronting King David. And God, here's the thing about David. This is the difference between David and Saul. Two different kings. God convicted him when he was confronted immediately. And, you know, we kind of wish David would have been convicted a little earlier, right? <laughs> but God convicted him at this point, and he admitted, he repented of his sin. He admitted his sin when he was called to give an account. David didn't blame shift. He said, I'm totally guilty. But what happened was because the par principle had been violated, judgment was now coming. Consequences, tremendous pain and bloodshed and loss came upon David and his family. But God gave David the ability to recover from, uh, you know, from this and still be useful. He's able to recover. David's story actually is a hopeful story because how many of us have taken privileges out of bounds? I mean, every one of us could, could raise the hand and say, yeah, I've... I've I've gone ahead of being faithful to have that privilege. David's story is a, is a reminder of God's grace that gives us hope in life that if we, if we cross a line and we sin and we take privileges that aren't ours, rebuilding can happen, but rebuilding can only begin if we, if we admit our sin and repent. That's the only way. We've got to admit it and repent of it. Last example here. This is Paul. Uh, one, one final example is of a man. His name is Paul. He, he wrote two-thirds of the books in the New Testament. So two-thirds of the books in the second part of the Bible are attributed to Paul. He planted many of the, fir- the first churches outside of Jerusalem. He led the first mission teams uh, to advance Christianity. And when you hear about Paul, he's, the, he's got high privilege. When we talk about Paul now, he's one of the heroes of the Christian faith. As much as guys like Peter, James, and John, and it's like, Paul this, Paul that. And you could get jealous of Paul. You know, like, wow, why don't we talk so much about Paul? He comes up all the time in church. Well, he, he had high privilege, but look at the responsibility that he bared. Or he bore. Five times, he says. He's writing a letter. Paul's commitment to bear responsibility. Let's look at the passage. Second Corinthians 11. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. Why? Well, it's because he's spreading Christianity. And there's a lot of people that don't want Christianity to spread. And so he's being persecuted. He's being chased down. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and told and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. He says, I, I face daily the pressure 
of my concern for all the churches that I've started. He's basically saying, I'm under a lot of pressure because of this mission. Paul's, his leadership, he, he is, he's experiencing tremendous privilege. He paid the ultimate price in ministry though. He was deeply committed in his level of responsibility that came with the assignment that Jesus had given him. He was to be the one to, to spread Christianity outside of Jerusalem to the Gentile world. He was under constant pressure, but even through all the pressure, he was faithful. And here's the point. With all of these examples that we've covered in this uh, message and in this series, here's the point. Many aspire, but few attain the blessing that, that God has in store. We want the privileges in life. Everyone wants the privileges, but who will accept the responsibility and be accountable? God is looking for faithful men and faithful women to use and to work through in this life. And if you want to do well in life, we need to continue to accept the responsibility and accountability that comes with the roles that God has placed us in right here and right now. To remain in privileges, keep being faithful. I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage and encourage you to consider some next steps. You see those next steps listed at the bottom. Uh, be faithful in this small responsibility. Get real personal. Be faithful with finances through. And then finally, be faithful in the way that I support. And this just gives you a chance to personalize uh, some response. So let, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time. As we've looked uh, at these stories from your word, I pray that you would highlight the key ideas and lessons that you want us not just to understand, but then to wrestle down into applying in our own lives, Lord. We pray for uh, endurance and strength to bear the responsibilities well and to be accountable, Lord, and to wait on you to grant more privilege, Lord. This is your way of, of working, and so we pray that you'd help us to not lose sight of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.